I'm Ian Abernethy, and you're listening to Karate Cafe. Welcome to Karate Cafe, your source for martial arts conversations since 2005. And now, here's your hosts, Paul Wilson and Dan Williams. Hello, everyone. This is Dan with another episode of Karate Cafe. Welcome, Paul. How are you? Hey, how's it going? How do you like Not- my uh, dulcet tones now? I do. Your mic sounds a lot better. How how on earth did you afford something like that? <laughs> well, actually, I just dug in my backpack to do that. But um, <laughs> since uh, it's aesthetically unpleasing for those of you uh, watching the, oh. the video version, of which only a few people have been watching. So uh, I'd also like to hear, is it even worth it? I mean, uh, content is king. And I, you know, I'm, I'm completely happy to be putting on, especially since we're doing these Zoom sessions and uh, doing interviews and whatnot. Um, but not getting a ton of views, so I mean, is that time out of my day? Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, more than a few people have commented on uh, the video the last couple of times because I was using my Bluetooth uh, earbuds that I use for my class, for uh, the online class that we've been doing for the last year. Uh, and I have noticed that the audio on my side is really not that great, but I figure it's class. They can hear me, yada, yada, yada. Right. But yeah. then you, Mr. Williams, have to come like over the I, top. I br- with your- kind of brought it. With your with your with your bad yeti there and your yeah. and your dulcet, dulcet tones that it, it was, was a present you it, know? Was, it was an issue so um, yeah so I'm I'm probably gonna be looking into get a, a more professional mic but right now this headset's gonna work and you know what's gonna make that easier Dan what is gonna what is gonna make that easier Paul? with the donation that we got <gasps> unsolicited from unsolicited. Uh, I presume a listener uh, Felix M I'm not gonna say your whole name I believe he's in Germany because it has a, a, a Germany uh, email address and he's not in the Facebook page on the Facebook group. So uh, thank you, Felix. Thank you, Felix. That or, is very cool. Dungeon, you know, as, as they say. Um, yeah, it was like out of nowhere. And uh, it's not enough to buy a new cool mic like Dan has over there or over there, depending <laughs> on how you're looking at it. Um, but uh, hey, every little bit helps. And that's so that by the way, you know, we've had that out there for a long time. Uh, and we've had, you know, the, the Amazon uh, link, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it, I've been listening, catching up on my podcast because we've been doing a lot of traveling with the uh, Erzatz Karate Cafe Roadshow. And um, one of the things I've been doing is catching up on martial art podcast. And many podcasts have joked about the, the sweet, sweet podcast money that, that we're all right. not getting. Yeah. Uh, so we do do this for love. And, you know, we did take the last, you know, essentially year off because, you know, life is weird. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, any way you guys can help would be super helpful for us. Makes us know that you uh, love and appreciate. It, I see the download, yeah. you know. And and honestly, we we get equipment with it, and we just you know it's 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 putting it right back in is what. Right. It it's it's paying for the hosting. It's paying for the yep. snacks in the green room because Dan keeps eating them. <laughs> um, the like uh, you know. It pays for the hosting and, and yada, 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 and just makes it feel yeah. like we're, we're doing it. So if you want to go uh, on the KarateCafe.com site, uh, on all our posts, we have usually the, the links for donating. Thank you, Felix. Uh, and buying stuff from the Amazon, th- uh, whatnot. When we have interviews and products and services and whatnot that we talk about, we try and put a link on there through the Amazon store so you can do it. But, uh, you know, Father's Day is coming up. So uh, if you have a father, uh-huh. and I'm sure most of you do, um, at one point or another uh feel free to use the amazon link to uh, get that maybe uh, buy a cool uh mic that you can you know yes. use in an interview i mean that you've one been one wanting that. for a while that it's time to get because yeah exactly you know, i you have, have a podcast this guy anyway yeah that's going on so uh but it's really good that we have uh better audio well correction you have better audio 
um, because <clears throat> we uh, previously recorded an uh, interview with the lovely, the talented, the legendary Angel Lemus of One Minute Bunkai uh, fame. Uh, total fanboy for me. I've been watched One Minute Bunkai for quite a while. Uh, and, you know, he's an Okinawan stylist. I've been wanting to talk to him for a while. He lives in Hawaii, which, you know, I used to live in Hawaii. So uh, it was really great to talk to him. Uh, and, um, uh, Dan, you know, I, I, he is, he is like a, a, a martial philosopher really. Uh, yeah. and having so much experience with so many different arts and being in it for as long as he has, um, he has an amazing perspective on martial arts in general. So that's, that's, that's what, um, excited me the most, uh, was just being able to kind of get his, his big picture view of, of martial arts and, um, where we're at today in the martial arts and how styles complement each other. So yeah, sorry, I'm yeah. just gonna, I'm gonna yeah. gush if, if and, you give me the chance. So. And, and bringing back Bugatia, uh, for those of you guys who don't know what Bugatia magazine is, uh, he has brought it back, uh, through Amazon. We talk about that. Yeah, we talk about uh, personal training and uh, practical karate boom and, you know, his history, yeah. uh, the, uh, the the fruit-based martial arts. Uh, we talk a, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, yeah. Now, you will notice that about halfway through the interview, uh, this guy I drop off. Disappears. He dropped off. It was. I didn't boot him because yeah. he's not a karate guy. Uh, he wasn't going to hear any. Had to pay the uh, bills, unfortunately. Any special dim kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, we're we're working stiff. And again, <laughs> no sweet sweet podcast money, so we had to drop. We off. haven't we, we haven't figured out the internet death touch yet. So. That exactly. So uh, anyway, with that, we will switch you over magically via the uh, magic of edits to our interview with Angel Lemus. And we're here. We're here with the the legendary. Angel Lemus, who uh, <clears throat> gracefully, gracefully joined us from across, uh, what, three time zones and half an ocean <laughs> to uh, <laughs> come on over. And of course, Dan, as you know, for those of you in the, watching at home, are, is in space. Uh, I'm no longer in the Matrix Dojo right now because that's one of the things. Uh, Angel, thank you for coming on uh, Friday Cafe. Hey, it's my pleasure. I don't know about the title of legendary. I'm just a, a guy living <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> no, 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 no. I disagree. Uh, so as, as many people, we've said many times, it's, it's Karate Cafe, but we cover a lot of different martial arts. But I really think that your work is, uh, has been fantastic for a long time. Uh, really love uh, One Minute Bunkai. It's kind of when I started getting into uh, kata application and whatnot, you know, it was uh, Ian Abernathy, of course, is one thing, but then uh, the other side for me was, was you and watching your videos and uh, the simplicity and uh, straightforwardness of, of uh, what you do is fantastic. But uh, you've got uh, other projects that we want to talk about. Uh, Bugisha, uh, Bugisha is, uh, you brought that back to life. That was a, a fantastic uh, uh, a magazine that I used to enjoy reading and now we can read again. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're going to do the, the normal thing because we, we don't have a whole lot of time. You know, it's morning there in Hawaii and we want to get to it. So uh, can you just give us an overview of your uh, training up to now, how you got involved in martial arts and some of the arts you study? Well, when I was 11 years old, my mom dragged me by the ear into judo because I was a very timid child. Um, <laughs> I was a real mama's boy. Um, I was a I was ridiculed and abused in, in school because I was uh, of the husky type. Um, but the moment that I went into judo, uh, 
I realized that my lower body uh, build, because uh, I was built like a pear, uh, gave me great balance and uh, a great center of, yeah, of that love of center uh, of gravity, right? Exactly. So uh, judo was uh, like a natural thing, and that began my love affair with martial arts. Uh, um, I competed in judo till <clears throat> in my mid twenties. Um, uh, around nineteen years old, I started training uh, gojo ryu karate in Miami, Florida. Uh, that led me to Shorin Ryu, uh, which I'm still involved with, and uh, it's been a roller coaster because I have always had a, just a insatiable thirst for martial arts. So through time, I've studied different levels of Kung Fu, Jeet Kune Do, uh, four different styles of uh, Okinawa weaponry, including uh, historical European martial arts, which I'm, I'm still technically involved with. It's just because of COVID, uh, we haven't met a, a bunch of times, but uh, I love weapons. I love <laughs> empty hand fighting, and I'm still learning every day. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, you know, I, I think too, it's, it's always interesting to talk to somebody that's had such a wide uh, spectrum of exposure to different martial arts. Uh, and uh, so, so how long have you, what is the art you're teaching right now? And how long have you, have you been doing that? The main art would be uh, Shorin Ryu, uh, Kian style. Uh, I started that in 1983. Uh, and it's been an exploration. All right, we won't count those years. So uh, <laughs> in 2017, I met Hoshiyama Sensei, and uh, uh, I'm also very, very much, uh, you know, uh, enjoying and, and very curious about Kojo Ryu, which I read in Mark Bishop's book in 1989. Uh, and that's a very interesting style because it's uh, very little known about it. But uh, so I'm basically practicing a couple of things at the same time. And I'm also involved with <laughs> something else that I've been doing uh, for about a year, uh, ever since COVID, uh, through weekly Zoom sessions, which is uh, the Anand Tomari group uh, with uh, uh, Sensei James Walters in California. And they're an interesting group. So I've learned several of the uh, Tomari katas that are kind of rare. And they also have a, a very rich history of a Kung Fu system that they practice. That's very interesting, and I am also actively involved in that because, like I mentioned, I have always loved Kung Fu, uh, so I do have a lot of uh, jugg juggling acts that I'm doing simultaneously. Yeah. How so, and, and was that uh, – oh, sorry, Dan. So was that like a natural progression, like you started with judo, and then you uh, – because a lot of people, when we talk to them or, you know, just martial arts, when we talk in general, they'll say, like, oh, I saw there was a, you know, a hole in my system or, you know, it was like I was – I just kind of want to challenge or whatever like what took you from judo to you know karate it was curiosity and and it's just a matter of being at the right place at the right time because i was i was taking judo at a at a youth center um and i was also involved with the police officer assigned to my high school because he was he was a martial artist and he did judo uh and um he he did uh like women's self-defense classes and because we were sort of uh, knew each other uh, and we did a little judo together, uh, I started to being his uke and assisting him. And then I started to see the karate and the striking techniques and all that. And of course, I was very curious about that. Uh, so uh, it just led me into that path because I found I found it very fascinating that in judo you have to grab somebody and throw them, but you know you can knock somebody out with a strike, and that seemed like a very economical thing to do. 
so that kind of led me in that direction. And then I fell in love with karate, but I always maintained the judo. So I was doing karate and judo simultaneously, but with judo, uh, I just got tired of the competitions and the whole thing with the sports and having to uh, continually be going to tournaments when ultimately I wasn't going to be a judo champion. So uh, eventually I just continued with karate and I just stopped doing the competitions. But it doesn't mean that I haven't kept up with judo to some degree or another because those throws and those techniques stay with you for your lifetime. And then I was able to incorporate them into the karate uh, where there are some applications that have things that are almost identical to judo or very similar, or I just enter them wherever I see that they fit. It's funny. That's what I was going to ask you about as far as like, especially with the judo and I'm mostly, I'm, I'm, I'm also interested in the Kung Fu aspects of, of how you've been able to, to roll some of those aspects into your current training and, and maybe how that's, that's influenced the, the way that you do things today. Well, I'll give you an example. Ashibara mm -hmm. or foot sweeps. There's a lot of Ashibara in foot sweeps that sort of, uh, you see a lot of the early Japanese masters incorporate into the old videos. And, and, and of course, when it comes to the Kumite, as we saw like in the you know, early uh, Japan championships, there were a lot of foot sweeps. Well, a lot of those champions did judo. Um, I've never really seen any official Okinawan style of karate having the curriculum foot sweeps. It's sort of like something you just do. But mm -hmm. it, you know, it's not necessarily in the katas. Uh, so if you're a judoka, you just can't help but to trip people. Um, if you're doing an, if you're doing a, a parry and a reverse punch, and you're and you're locked in with your opponent, and you know judo, it's very natural because you're already connected with both hands to enter into any kind of throw after you, after you've hit the person. Uh, you can do an osotogari, uchimata, uh, anything like that. It is it's very natural. So. The, so the point is, is that if you know judo, you can use it. If you're a karateka that, that has had a, a, a standard karate training and you don't know any judo, you're not going to do any of it. So it really just becomes of what your knowledge base has, you know, in, in all the slots mm -hmm. uh, that are available to you. It's like having a, a, a carpenter's tool belt and you only have a hammer. You're going to treat Maybe. everything as a nail. But if you have all the other tools, well, you know, <laughs> you can you can be a much more uh, skilled uh, craftsman. Yeah. So and then, it, you know, it's, it, one of the things that I think of is what would you say to, to concerns over the quote unquote purity of something or, Oh, if you're, if you're teaching those things and it's not, it's not the pure art and, and all that jazz. I mean, th there is some value to that from the beauty of history and uh, but the word purity, uh, you know, has some connotations because what it, what is pure, um, it, it's a it's a mental construct. Uh, maybe post uh, World War II, where styles were sort of like uh, styles and and people and personalities were cementing their uh, uh, their their, king, their kingdom to establish right. themselves in a post World War II. Uh, scenario where everybody was basically uh, starving to death in Okinawa or Japan. And, um, you know, they had to establish these because they saw, hey, you know, uh, there's value in this uh, monetarily, you know, uh, uh, culturally, socially uh, positions of power. Um, 
So styles began to, to emerge, uh, you know, of official things, you know, Japan Karate Do Association started recognizing styles in Japan and then they transferred that to Okinawa. Uh, but the purity of the style, I mean, it's been a mishmash of evolution from day one. Um, there was nothing really stylistic in Okinawa. It was just family styles and the thing that they did. Uh, <laughs> it was influenced by China. And then, you know, when you go back to China, it's like you know thousands of years of of evolution. So there is nothing really pure, uh, but there is the definition of pure. Like there is the Kian style that you would say is pure because it has these eight katas, and then there's the Chibana style. But um, it, for me, it's it's basically the the entry point to start. But you can maintain that. But you know um, the whole goal is supposed to be that the teacher teaches you something and then you evolve above it and then you contribute to it. So it becomes yours. So it's no longer what your teacher taught you. All right. And that's an interesting point because one of my bugaboos, especially coming from the Matsumura uh, line, is we have a lot of guys, a lot of practitioners that trained in Okinawa in the 60s and 70s. And they came back to the United States and they're saying, no, I'm never changing. I'm, I'm only doing what I was taught. And then with, with my, you know, context is king with me. And I was like, but the context is you train for like four years. <laughs> and there's a whole system after that. And, you know, and so, you know, you, and, and they're good martial artists. Like I've seen the video of some of these guys that are very, you know, have locked themselves away. And, uh, you know, the karate is good, the karate is strong, call it what you will. But, uh, but it just seems to me kind of self-limiting that they, you know, they, they won't put anything else out because they presume they have learned all of it and they're just trying to keep it pure. When, you know, so many times I've heard of, you know, the, you know, the past master saying like, you know, yeah, you remember the kata, keep it, keep it, um, keep it alive, but go cross train with other people and go do other things. Yeah, there's, there's this whole thing of, uh, you know, keeping it pure. And I, and I see it sort of like a religion or, or the dogma that, you know, it's, uh, you can't change it, you know, it's blasphemy to, to do something. Of course, you, you don't want to take a, what we call a traditional kata and all of a sudden start putting spinning flying sidekicks in it you know yeah that, that's silly to do that's not what i'm talking about but i'm talking about how you practice it and, and how you see its its value because the kata can remain as it is it's what you do with it that you should have 100 percent uh freelance license to do whatever whatever you think you can get away with as long as it works the kata provides you the foundation but then, you know, application-wise or usage, that's what it's really for. I mean, the purpose of martial arts is not so that you can just do this kata and maintain it, um, is what you do with it. But the kata is sort of like the tr tradition of the step number one of passing the knowledge. Um, I see what you're saying, and I've been sort of thinking about an analogy to explain to people how, with all the things that I've been learning lately, that what I see with traditional martial arts in, in cases where people have this whole thing of purity is that if you were to graduate from high school and just continue taking your senior level class forever, <laughs> the juniors and seniors that are coming up see you as the most intelligent person in the world because you know all the answers ahead of time. You pass everything. You're, you're, you're like the, the master of all time, uh, but, but you're still repeating your high school level. So, you're very good at what you do. You just haven't learned anything. And there's so much more about because you have junior college, you have 
you know, uh, university level degrees, masters, PhD, post postdocs, uh, and uh, then you get your Nobel Peace Prize. So there's an entire universe. So uh, you know, to to just do do the thing, the same thing you've done is is just the, the tip of the iceberg, and then the the development of 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 finding what else is there to learn so that you grow as an individual. Just okay. repeating the same thing you've done, you could be very, very good at it. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not a good thing. What right. I'm saying is, is that if that's all you do, that's great. And, and if, if everybody's perfectly well to just do what they want to do. But what I'm saying is, is that there's so much more above it if you care and you're curious. Right. And then for me, there's also the, the flip side of that coin. We did an episode uh, several years ago. It was, uh, you know, 20-year showdowns and multi-style masters where you had the people like I was talking about. They trained in Okinawa or trained somewhere. They got their first degree, went back to the States, never went back, never did anything, never progressed, and would say things like, oh, uh, no one's going to promote me except my sensei, who you've never seen again and then passes away. And then you have the other guys that they train for a couple of years and a whole bunch of stuff and create a system, you know, but, but it's, so it's, it's breadth versus depth. Um, do you think it's more important to have data? Like, I think it's really important to have, like, my foundation shot a new, right? So that's my foundation. And everything I do goes on top of that to help me understand that better uh, and, and, and work on it. Do you think it's more important? I mean, because clearly you're, you're studying a lot of stuff, but do you look for the things that connect what you're kind of already based in? Or do you just, you know, go on sort of an open mind and see what happens? I'm more of an open mind, but, but I do see the value of, of, of maintaining a tradition because then if you're going to maintain a tradition, it's good to preserve it for its historical value and beauty. Uh, but then you, you have a lot of people that are just basically just go up to that level and they don't, they don't explore or find anything more. So their knowledge and their skill level and their understanding is very limited, but they're very purist and they have a beautiful dojo and the katas are immaculate and everything's perfect. And then you have somebody else who doesn't have any kind of purity or tradition, but they've studied a whole bunch of things. Now that, that has its own, you know, extremes. You've got people who are, they know very little about everything and they're not very good and they don't have a deep understanding. And then you have on the other extreme, people who have studied many, many things, but oh my God, what, look at what they can do. Look at how well they understand and how well they teach. And then, then the bottom line is, is what can they do on the dojo floor? If, if the person is amazing, then that person, you know, has a lot to offer. Uh, it just depends. And there's always everything yep. out there. I and guess as a student, you want both of those people, right? Uh, I mean, it would be ideal to, to have uh, <laughs> the, the traditional. Um, um, I mean, I see that as the best of both worlds. You know, if you're going to represent yeah. something, then you, sh then you should do it to the best of your knowledge and, and see see. In other words, you have to recognize if you're missing something. See, that's the biggest problem, because there's, ah. there's a very good phrase that you don't know what you don't know. So if you're if if you're talking to somebody who has just uh, you know high school math, and you, and you're talking about astronomy or you know astrophysics, and you're talking about calculus and physics, I mean you can't talk to that person. You have to dumb it down to the bare element. So. You know, if that person doesn't know what calculus or physics or, you know, geometry is, uh, that's as far as they can go. They would have to expand yeah. their knowledge. And some people don't care to. Uh, some people just haven't had the time to. But nevertheless, they're still stuck at, at a very basic level. 
it. Yeah, it's, so it, it that's just, fascinating. It, yeah, and it's it's one of the it's you know it's one of the things that that Paul and I have talked about a lot. I have uh, a breadth of knowledge, and he has a depth of knowledge, and I have a depth of knowledge in just just a couple of small categories. Um, but I I I really see your point where if if you don't have that foundation, if you don't have that bedrock underlying everything then the new stuff, it's hard to sort of attach to something that you've already laid the groundwork for. No, absolutely. And it also depends on how, how you uh, approach it, because I'll, I'll, give it I'll, I'll give you this example. We all know about pressure points. We all know about things like Denmark and the meridian systems and the, you know, the 24-hour cycle and all this. And it's all this Chinese stuff that's just, you know, it seems like it's out there or whatever. You know, uh, I have books on Denmark in my bookshelf that I've had for 30 years mm -hmm. and things about it. It's, it's like reading a boring uh, medical textbook. Um, it's difficult to, to fathom that and to learn it. Um, when I started training with James uh, Walters, uh, who practices this Kung Fu style, it was the first time that I actually was taught a kata with all the applications, with all the pressure points, with all the meridian knowledge, uh, with, all, with all the whole thing put together. And all of a sudden it started to make sense. And it was the best way I found that I could actually start to learn this because the, the points, the applications, the, the traditional Chinese medicine aspects of it for healing, were taught at the same time as the, you know, the, the martial destructive parts of it. Uh, so when you did a movement in a kata and, you, and whatever you did, you, you knew everything about it. And then every time you repeat the kata, these things are in your mind. Oh, I'm doing this. I'm hitting this point. This is the, this is the reaction. This, ah. is here, this is the thing. So every time you repeat it, and then, you know, you have to do a little bit of mental exercise to memorize these things. But then after a while, they started. So all of a sudden now it's like okay I I I recognize many of the you know the stomach the you know the heart the liver the pericardium you know they're not these things that are just like I can, I don't have time to memorize all this stuff all of a sudden it's just by doing it and thinking about it it starts to stay in your brain and then it's easy to recognize but what I did find is is that once you go into that area that to me is the higher levels of martial arts training because once you know what you're hitting and the effects and then you see them in the kata, whereas before you have blinders. You just That's fascinating. You know, so, for example, what I do in the one minute bunkai are more physical manipulation things. Right. They're more throws, they're locks, there's some hits. But how do I do a one minute bunkai of a one punch knockout? It would be a two second bunkai. You know, it, it's, it's, it doesn't lend itself for that. So my one-minute bunkais are mostly about throws and manipulations. And also I try to do things so that it's not the same thing that you see everybody else do. Um, I try to find a different way to look at it. I mean, since I'm a graphic designer, I have that creative side of my mind. Oh. And I'm able to kind of deconstruct things and see them maybe a different way that other people may see it. So I try to do a one-minute bunkai and I show something that is different. That is not what the majority of other people that have tackled the middle block um, so otherwise, what's the point of me doing and putting out the same information that's out there? Um, and, and, and actually, yeah, I, I, so that gives a, a nice uh, pivot to that subject because I really want to talk about One Minute Bunkai. Why did you start doing those fantastic videos? When? 
Why? Why? I mean, what, what, what was the driving factor of uh, so like you know? You know, it, it's funny because what, yeah, it makes sense that you're a graphic artist because those are kind of like infographics for Bunkai, right? Sort of. So I started with the idea of sharing some of the stuff that I like to do, you know, that I teach in my dojo with the people in my organization. Okay. And then it was like, well, you know, I'll put it out there. I'll put up a, a password in Google. I mean, YouTube, or I'll lock it in. Then it became sort of a, well, you know, they have to have a Google account. How do I lock it in? And then, well, well but I also have people that are my friends that are not part of my organization that I also want to share with. And it just became like, more difficult to just, you know, to hide it and say, oh, what the hell, I'll just share it, you know, I don't care. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, it was nice to share because then I made a lot of friends and, it, you know, it doesn't hurt to have a little bit of exposure and marketing and publicity <laughs> for your organization and maybe for yourself personally. Uh, but the, so I just put it out there open to the world and, you know, some people liked it or whatever. Um, but then, uh, it, it just it just sort of uh, opened up a lot of doors. Uh, it's certainly been been very beneficial because I've met a lot of wonderful people uh, through it. And of course, you know, here we are connected because of one minute bunkai uh, yeah. to some degree. Yeah. Um, but it, it just it just sort of opened up like that. And then what I tried to do, the, my initial idea was I wanted to do a one minute bunkai because number one, I don't make a living from it. I don't have all the time in the world <laughs> to spend hours and hours on each little video. But I tried to do it one minute with words, talking. It's impossible. It was five to ten minutes. And I used to see these other videos where the guy's talking and talking. And I'm saying, get to the good parts. I don't need all this introduction. I don't need all that. Just show me what you're doing. For, you know? For, for reference for, for, for our listeners, anyone who's seen any of my videos, I did them for a while. And then I actually think I, I commented to you something one day and you, you messaged me back and was like, stop talking. <laughs> Just do the technique. And I, I yeah, I've told that. Paul that for years. Yeah, so, I know. Well, you know, <laughs> instead of, instead of it, you know, being a, a 10 minute bunkai video uh, where there's like three seconds of the stuff everybody wants to see. I said, you know what? I just don't have time to do this. So literally by the logistics of the time I was willing to put into it, I said, you know, uh, there's an old term, Mitori Geiko, which is to, to look by learning. So I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to borrow that aspect. I'm just going to show you something and you can look at it and you can learn it just by looking. Uh, and I sort of have this uh, uh, disclaimer that um, if you don't get it, ask your instructor to see it and then he can show you because he should get it because he's the instructor if you're a student. <laughs> there you uh, go. Yeah. So then, you know, it just became, you know, where I tried to do them to one minute and just the simplicity of it with one simple technique. Um, but the best compliment I ever got was somebody who was uh, deaf, uh, uh, deaf who said, thank you for making it visual because, you know, and so that, that was, that was really kind of like a, a very interesting thing that I, I never even thought about. So that way the one minute bunkai serves everybody. From that when, format. You, when, when you were generating the videos, were these like sort of like aha moments in the dojo when you were training? You're like, I'm gonna roll on roll on that, or did I mean was it sort of a did you sit down and like plan everything out? You know, go through the kata a few times and, and see something that was you know useful or that you should share. Or how, how's the thought process behind it? Well, a lot of them were ideas that I had already practiced for a long time and things that were sort of in my mind. So uh, probably the first 
uh, batch of them that I did were were things that I was just regularly doing. Um, and then after a while, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I could be working in the dojo and uh, oh, wait, this would make a great one minute bunkai because I can I can I can fit it into the format. So uh, a little bit of both. Or I, I could be you know, looking it's funny at, because it, it, yeah, I could be looking at a video online, whether it's karate or kung fu or, or something. And I said, that fits exactly into the kata that I know. That movement is a perfect fit. And so why not? I borrowed that. So what I say is I don't come up with anything. I just tap into the, the knowledge that already exists because I don't think any one of us are inventing something that, that doesn't already exist. Uh, what we do is, is that we may bring it to light where it maybe was something rare or maybe it was, it was never exposed uh, to the degree that it is. Do you think that by time boxing it um, has revealed some things? Because we had, I remember in my, my Wing Chun class, um, we had to do the wooden dummy form in two minutes. And the reason that my instructor did that is he said, you, you, you are forced to cut out all the garbage then. And so by time boxing it, he forced us to be efficient. Well, that's very important too from from an efficiency point of view, but also it, it doesn't leave your brain the ability to wander off and think. Whenever your brain thinks, it needs time. And then when, when the reality of the situation requires an instant physical reaction, your brain doesn't have time to think. You just have to, it's an instinctual reactive thing that you do and what comes out is what you've trained in. So I think that's a great uh, thing that your sensei, the Sifu, did, uh, by forcing you to do it like that, because it's like a pressure test. In other words, right. you really have to tell your brain to go off into Mushin land and leave you alone so you can do this thing. Yeah, I never even thought about it but like that, but but you're absolutely right. It was, um, I've always called uh, a lot of martial arts a moving meditation, essentially, because I know that for me, like when I walk in the, the room of the dojo, I, I it's that process of, you know, uh, of, 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 of taking off my shoes and stepping onto the floor and things like that, that washes the world behind out of my brain. And you're absolutely right. I can, I have a, a very visceral memory of trying to force that dummy form into two minutes. And I'll tell you what, I could not think about it. If I had to think about it, 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 I, I was done. There's no way I could cram it into two minutes. Well, I'll share something with you. Just don't tell anybody. Okay. <laughs> okay. I promise. Um, if you were to ask me to, to to show you all the one minute bone guys that I've done, I probably wouldn't remember half of them. <laughs> now, if, if if I look at the little video, okay, yeah, I know what that is. It's just right. I haven't really spent the time to to memorize them or classify my brain because uh, it, it, these are things that just come out of me. But if you if you say to me, show me ten different applications against the middle block, I'll come up with ten different things, and I don't have to think very hard. They just come out like that because um, they just become instinctual. So, you know, and it's almost almost the same thing because you you don't you don't fight with with memory. You just fight with instinct. But you have to have the training before that that is slow and tedious and and scholastic and almost like book like you have to take notes and write things down and think about it. That's the beginning part. But after a while, you should not you you, you cannot think. So. Uh, a lot of these things uh, I can get into. Uh, I just don't necessarily have them memorized. Uh, if you say, what is a bu one minute bunkai number 24? I, I wouldn't know. 
But if you tell me, oh, it's a down block against the punch, I say, okay, well, which one? Because there's like so many of them. And then I could probably spend a half an hour going into details and all that. So uh, that's sort of how I look at it. Um, well, that's, uh, when, you know, I, when I started, I used to be a videographer. And so when I started uh, teaching, after a few years of teaching, I would do stuff and the non-politically correct uh, thing that I would say was, oh, there goes there. You had to leave everybody. Okay. Um, the, the, the non-politically correct um, uh, thing I used to say was I called it Rayman Karate because someone would throw a punch or a technique or whatever, and I would do something, and they would go, "Oh, what'd you do?" And I'm like, I don't know. I just, you yeah. know, I did whatever had to happen, and then that's why I wanted to start videotaping it, <laughs> but so that way I could remember what I did. Yeah. Because they'd say, "Do it again," and, to, and so, but and then after a while, I got to thinking like, "Ooh, well, that's kind of where I want to be. I want to do stuff without." thinking through it and, 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 and cranking through it. And so, you know, one of the one things I was going to mention earlier is one of the things I really appreciate about the, the one uh, minute bunkai videos is, is the, you have a, the repeating concepts of like, you know, penetrate when you punch, you know, you know, it won't work. You need to be in close or whatever. You need to be touched. It's like, you know, those are for me in my dojo, it's like, I always talk about repeating concepts. Like you see it here, you see it at this tata, you see it in that kihon, you see it, you know, wherever in Kabuto, you see it that's that same concept. So you're, you're doing it all the time. So you're not thinking about it when you're doing it. And, uh, but you have to still have to reiterate it. You still have to teach it. And that was one of the things I really liked about it was, you know, the whole like punching. Dan was, he didn't get a chance to say he uh, was watching some of your videos and he was looking at the one where you were punching the um, uh, phone book. Yeah. And he was just like, Oh my God. <laughs> I said, when he talks about penetrating, he's not messing around, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I, I always found it silly because I started in judo and judo is like a full contact art. You know, you're you're sweating, you're you're connecting, you're bumping, you're you're doing the thing. You're not pretending to do the thing, which um, the traditional sports kumite is pretending to hit. I'm not taking anything away from sports practitioners because they're highly skilled and they do what they do very well. But they're not training for reality. They're training for safety and, and it's, it's not reality. Um, but I always also found it interesting how in the early karate books, especially coming from, you know, the JKA series and also in Okinawa, how you have, you have the two people standing six feet apart, but the only way that they can connect is if each of them travel three feet to meet at the zero point. So you have this guy over here standing and this guy with a Gedan Barai, he punches halfway through and hitting air. And then this guy has to come in to do the block. If you just stood there and let the guy walk in three feet, you don't have to do anything because you're under no threat. But that's how all the books in, in karate were, were illustrated in the early times. And you have impressionable minds reading this. And that's how that's the, the, the one-step sparring that we used to be taught. You know, you had to move in in order to intercept the punch that would have never hit you. So from day one, we were being taught a very silly and ridiculous and unrealistic way of training. Maybe it was done for safety, but the problem is, is that if you do something for safety, that means that uh, you're teaching beginners. But what, what happens to the, uh, the people that have been doing it for 20, 30 years? Shouldn't they be now doing it more realistically where there's actual penetration? No, you, you see everybody from every rank doing the same silly exercises in other words, that's the thing about you've stayed in high school all your life and you're just repeating the same information, not realizing that there's another level or another level after that and another one after that. In my dojo, my, my joke is I teach lazy man karate. 
because I don't want to do anything more than I need to do. So yeah, if they're going to come in and like, you know, I, like a whole passing guard and when I was like, I don't have to do that because they're going to come to me. And you know, I can control my spacing back or spacing forward and stuff like that if I need to, or, you know, type of black and body position, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to them. And you know? so when my son and I spar, a lot of times they'll do stuff and he backs up and like, I'll throw, a, I'll throw a punch and he'll block it, but he'll back up when he blocks it. And then I'll just stop. Cause yeah. I'm like, well, you're, you're out of my, out of my zone. I'm not going to waste my energy. <laughs> yeah that's a that's a good way to approach it right. yeah uh, so then what i also wanted to ask you was and i'm sure i'm asking for most of the internet when are we going to see some more women at bunkai i mean it's it's okay i mean they, it was fantastic and i mean i know they take time to do and you know we had old stuff with the last year which we're going to get into in a minute but uh i mean has it been kind of fun on the shelf i mean have you thought you've done anything no. you can do with that not at all. It's just been difficult with uh, the COVID lockdown, not having a dojo and having students. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot more that I that I plan to do. Just need to get back into a, a position where I have a place uh, so I can film some more. Right. So then, well, then there's our. Now you you give you give me great segues, Angel. Uh, so how has the last year gone for you? Because yeah, like um, like you were mentioning about doing the online Zoom training my class we went online and we, we're still online we're like the only people in our federation still doing an exclusively online class so we sublet a space so uh and i'm not prepared to move in back into the, the space the sublet space yet uh but so how did pandemic work for you in your training i mean i know you talked about uh, training with a group in california but i mean how did you react to it initially and then you know how have you been doing for the last year um i've been extremely busy um I've had some connections with people in my own group, although we haven't had any any kind of weekly regular training, but we do it, you know, whenever we can get enough people together. Uh, the, the bulk of my time on Zoom through the whole pandemic has been for my own training. I was fortunate enough to, to hook back up with uh, uh, Sensei James Walters, uh, who's in California, um, and I've basically been on Zoom with him uh, literally since this whole thing started. Uh, to the degree that I've learned uh, uh, five uh, tomari katas from him with the applications. Uh, I learned the, the entire uh, family style of the, the Wu style Tai Chi, uh, which is about 185 movements. And that took me five and a half months to learn. Uh, I was doing that at the same time that I was learning some of the other forms. And I'm still actively uh, meeting with him uh, once or twice a week, uh, learning uh, these other things that are now leading into their Kung Fu area. So it's been really interesting. And for me, it probably has been the biggest growth period of my entire martial arts because of the, the breadth of knowledge that they hold in their, in their group. Um, but it's just been fascinating because then it's basically just my ability to learn at my speed. And uh, I'm just devouring as fast as I can because let's face it, we're not getting any younger. And, and what I'm learning from these guys is the information that has always been missing for me in the traditional karate training that's coming from the Chinese, uh, you know, resources. Uh, and it's just a pleasure to fill in those gaps, things like a lot of application principles, uh, the, the, you know, the whole thing with the, uh, the then mock meridian points. Uh, it was fun to learn the, these Tomari forms, which are very, very different. Um, and they, with the exemption of a couple of them really don't exist in any curriculum now. Uh, but, I, but like I said, I'm, I'm fascinated with the Kung Fu aspects and the stuff that they do is not like a style. It's a system that contains 
many different styles of, of, of animal systems within them that they've, they've maintained for many, many generations. Uh, and it's stuff that I've never seen out there on the web. That's, so that's kind of interesting because uh, our last episode was about the death of styles. Like we, the, the debate that people have been throwing about the death of styles. And that's literally what we were talking about, about you know, a, a style and then the systems underneath and then you know, like how they kind of differentiate and, and whatnot is going on. But I find it really fascinating that, uh, you know, like, like for me, I consider you know, uh, you're, you're many levels ahead of me as far as you know, uh, your martial journey and your instructor, Chip and, and whatnot. Like with me, it's like me. I'm just like, how do I keep my class going? And, you know, and not from a monetary standpoint or anything like that, because I totally don't make any money doing that. Um, but just to keep the knowledge going and, and keep myself working out, mostly. But to keep my students and, and stuff going. But for you to to pivot from there and go like, well, now you're going to feed yourself, you know, and really uh, dive in. It, I mean, you don't. I've seen a lot of people that have done like, you know, started doing webinars and you know. Uh, I, uh, doing online seminars and, and yada 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 and try and get it going and try and keep that going as they're still teaching people but you've gone the other way it sounds like and have gone to like go back into student mode well I, i'm always in the student mode no matter what it's just that because of covid and because the extra time i had uh and also because i i just could not stay inactive um and by being fortunate to connect with James, who was very open, I mean, he's a retired military guy, so he has a lot of time and he's very comfortable, you know, uh, teaching and, and doing stuff online. It's like I, I connected with uh, somewhat of a mother load for me, which gave me a one-stop shop to get everything that I've been looking for. Um, uh, so it's, it's just a no-brainer. But the thing you said is very important. Remember, like I said, if you, if you teach only the high school senior level, everybody else is going to catch up with you. So, you know, me being the vice president of an organization, at some point, everybody should catch up with me. I would hope that they do. And I would hope that they even become better than me. It's just that they have to do it. They have to, they have to prove and they have to show that they, they, they can't catch up to you. But that means they have to work just as hard as you do. But if I don't learn new things, I'm just regurgitating the same material. And after a while, that gets boring. That's why I think people who've been doing martial arts for 20, 30 years get bored one day and hang up their OB and say, I don't want to do it anymore. I can totally understand because it gets boring. If you don't have the same, if you just have the same material, uh, some people are perfectly fine with just never ending repetition. Uh, other people just say, you know, I'm not learning anything new. What's the point? So finding a, a means or a resource that can fill in gaps that you've had and then can teach you things that you never knew existed things that do not exist in karate and, and, and then realizing, wow, I didn't even know I could get myself up to this new level. That's, that's where you truly remain the perpetual student because you're always learning. Now you, you can give yourself a title of a sensei or a master or whatever, but if you know the same thing that everybody knows, you're lucky that maybe you can do it better or you're just, just older or you're, you're the, you have the title of grandpa and everybody bows to you, but Technically, a lot of times you don't know anything more than everybody else. Maybe you just do it better. But as far as knowledge, you don't know anything more than everybody else knows. Everybody's caught up to you mentally on, 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 the, on, the, on the bookwork type of stuff related to the martial arts. Maybe it's just the skill and experience, but you still don't know anything more. So being able to find new things that you did not know and then being able then to pass that down 
to the people that you that you want to teach and help to bring them up is fantastic because then you see the the you know the the light bulbs and the big deer in the headlight eyes uh, when everybody realizes wow I didn't even know this existed um, yeah. and this is fascinating stuff and then you can immediately see them improving because they're elevating their skill level to a higher degree their understanding goes up the the ability to execute goes up the speed the timing everything is elevated where everybody is more or less just doing some, everything at the same level and, and actually that's a, a, I want to put a pin on that because I want to get back to that in a minute uh, uh, we're talking about the practical, practical karate you know boom that, that's going on um, so then so how do you see yourself moving forward after this now, now that you've got all this uh, extra training and stuff that you've been doing and, and delving into what do you see yourself changing or doing different or doing better going forward when we get back in the dojo in person? Well, everything is in a constant state of change, unless you don't, <laughs> unless you choose to do the same thing. Um, I'm always in, I've always been in a constant state of change. You know, um, that's just me. So I will, I will always be in a constant state of change because I'm progressing and I'm, I'm adding new skills to my skill set, um, and I'm always improving. So, um, if I were to teach the basic kata seisan today, it would be like it would be like uh, I taught you a tricycle 20 years ago. Now I'm teaching you a Maserati. That's that's the difference of that basic way I learned it back when I was in the days of Sebu Khan. And what I would teach you today would be world-class, uh, higher levels uh, from every single aspect, from timing, from technique, from bunkai, from, from understanding of what you're doing, from having better ways to execute the applications within the kata. Um, but just visually, it's going to look different because the, every, the timing and everything has changed. The velocity, the timing, you know, uh, everything about it is different. So that, you're right. able to, so that you're able to do more things at the same time, whereas before it was one step and one technique. It was very robotic, very staccato, and very basic. That's what you teach beginners. Problem is, is that you see a seventh don doing the same kata as the green belt. Same tempo, they look identical. So what's the difference between a seventh don and a, and a green belt that do the same kata the same way? Well, maybe the seventh don can actually apply it better, um, but shouldn't the kata also reflect a fluidity, uh, a, a sense of expertise, a sense of maturity than the way Greenbelt? But you don't see that. Every you know the, the 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 dogma has been you don't change anything, not even the way you execute it. Uh, that to me is like you know again, you're repeating high school for the rest of your life. And we were talking about that in class uh, the other night. My students, I said something about we were talking about. Um, uh, we were all just doing stuff on Pukara each, you know, simple I-form, I'm sure you know it. Um, but I have a new student, and so we were, we were going through that, and I was having my senior guys do it, and I, I told my new guy, I'm like, watch them, watch how they do it. I said, they will do it different than you. They're probably doing it different than me, but they should be doing it like a black belt. You know, they shouldn't be doing it like your level. There should be more fluidity. There should be an ease of movement, you know. How to make like a... I said, but they're doing the same kata you're doing. So like, don't get confused. Like when you see something and I don't be like, if, if you think it looks different, it's because they're doing it different. They're, um, you know, they're applying it different, like you're talking about. So 
and then someone uh, mentioned a story about one of our ace degrees that when he tested for ace degree, they grandmaster said, you know, do 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 a test kata, and so he got up and he did who got h the very first kata in our system, and he did it like an ace dom would do. It looked like somebody you know you smooth and you know, and so that was uh, a really good anecdote of exactly what I was talking about. And it sounds like that's where you're going too. So it sounds like if any of your students are listening to the podcast, they're going like, oh man, <laughs> gonna have a whole lot of work ahead of us. That's always the case. Um, it is, it is. Well, that's very, that's very interesting because like for us, going back into the dojo, you know, I've had all these things that, that I've got like a new student who's never touched anybody, right? So now we got to get back to touching people. And then, so I'm thinking about how we're going to get back into Kumite, how we're going to get back into Kotiate, how we're going to get back into Duntuiti, how we're going to, how we're going to get back into those, you know, conditioning wise and then application wise uh, for us is, is kind of, you know, it's not daunting, it's kind of exciting and I'm looking forward to getting to it sometime, but, but well, I imagine we're, I'm probably always going to have an, an online, like a Zoom session, like set the camera up. So uh, for us, uh, we've been really lucky. We've had uh, people from our federation that signed in from Australia, like from both coasts. Some of my friends up in Canada, they all came in and joined our class and were like, you know, my Kyokushin friend, I was like, he just Kyokushin kicked and, you know, whatever. And then, you know, we had, uh, you know, um, Goju guy, you know, we, we'd go visit Joe Goju school, go Goju, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. So I think that this time, uh, clearly in your case, especially the, the use of online training has been really kind of come to the fore of what it can do for you. Uh, and I think for someone at your level, especially, because uh, one of the things that I draw on with my students a lot of times is like visualize, visualize, visualize when you're doing your kata, even in person, but now, well, you know, like where's your center line? Where's their center line? What is the target you're hitting? You know, are you hitting a muscle? Are you hitting a bone? Are you hitting a, you know, whatever. So um, I've taken it as much more of a challenge. Like I think this, this year has been a, 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 a huge challenge as a martial artist on pretty much every level to try and, you know, overcome this challenge. And it sounds like you have truly overcome it. sounds like you've had kind of a revolution in, in your, you know, sort of martial thought. Well, you know, it's us that are instructors have sort of, you know, we've had this routine where we're, hey, you come home from work, you have a snack, hey, we got to get to the dojo, let's go to the dojo. And you do the same thing day in and day out by stopping the dojo training and us having to now go back home and sit there for months and months and months, it, it has given us an opportunity to sort of recalibrate and maybe rethink about what we've been doing. Because when you're just on a routine, you're on a routine and part of what a routine is, is not thinking about it. So uh, hopefully this has allowed us, because you said, you know, you're nervous about going back to physical training because, you know, yeah, a year without it has been uh, a very, it's a big break. But I think it's a it's a good thing because we've had an opportunity to maybe think about it, and maybe we this opportunity has given us the chance to, um, you know, uh, rethink about maybe a better way to do it that we wouldn't have had if we just went on the regular routine. Right, and for us and for me, it's like it's you know having to explain it and demonstrate it in a two D format. Right? I mean, I have two. I set up two cameras so that way you know I can have one on my feet and the stance and, and whatever, but. Um, you know, uh, trying to, to get that across, you know, especially to new people. Well, people already had like a context of training. It was a little bit easier. Um, but, you know, like getting back into, you know, 
know, I've been doing my technique like this for so long, and now there's going to be something at the other end of this <laughs> that I've got to, you know, remember. Uh, but I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we've had a couple of part classes um, that we've got all fully vaccinated and whatnot. So my senior students and I have gotten together. And so that was nice. And we were doing 2D, and it was kind of nice that, to see that a lot of the concepts and applications that they're doing with it are still there, you know, that, they, that they've, they've gone back and, and, and taken care of it. So that's a pretty exciting time. Uh, but so then when I wanted to talk to you, because I, I know you, it's early morning, you got to get to work here pretty soon. I wanted to talk to you uh, about two things. One, what do you think about the practical karate boom? Because for me, you were kind of uh, practical karate before it was kind of cool. <laughs> And then, you know, it kind of blew up. Ian Abernathy came up and, you know, like uh, Noah Lagle and whatnot started doing his stuff with the, uh, uh, with his sensei. And it kind of, and, and I tried to do mine. I did some seminars on it. But, um, I mean, what are your thoughts about, like, why it sort of has become a thing? And, you know, do you think it's still going to be a thing? Well, I would hope so, because to me, it's what it should have been all along. Because if it's not practical, then what are you doing? Um, you know, you, you had the dojos that did a lot of kata, spent a lot of time on slide rulers and triangles to get all the angles perfect, but then there's no meaning absolutely to it. Because then how do you apply it? You put on boxing gloves and a head, headgear and shin guards and you bounce around like chickens pretending to hit each other, but you're not. What, what does that have to do with, with kata? It has nothing to do with kata. Styles that punch and kick, you don't need kata for that. Do kickboxing. Uh, even even Billy Blank says Taibo. Uh, I loved it. You know, punch and kick and exercise and sweat. You don't need kata. You can take Thai boxing, kickboxing. All those things are are fantastic arts. They don't have any kata. So if you're going to practice kata and preach this dogmatic system of movements, and you, and there's no reason behind it. It's a waste of time, other than somewhat of an exercise, but there's better ways to exercise. You shouldn't use kata as a means to get your aerobic exercise. It's not meant for that. So if you're gonna if you're gonna have movements like middle blocks and double movements like this, or you know, stuff like this that's not punching and kicking, all those things have a lot of meanings. So you better know what they are, otherwise, what are you doing? So the the, the, the practical I guess the revolution is, is what it should have been all along. And I'm glad to see many, many people, you know, jump on it because um, everybody's getting a much better education. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, yeah, I think it's a, a great thing for sure. Um, you know, for, for a while, and, and since you're a fellow Okinawan stylist and no one else is listening because it's my podcast, uh, one, one of the things that I, I, when I would go visit people's schools and they would talk about, you know, social application or whatever, they would, there was a whole big thing about hikate, right? About, you know, chambering and, and whatnot. And I saw so many of my friends on Facebook that, you know, were uh, Tongsudo guys and, and Taekwondo guys and uh, Japanese karate guys. And they were, they, they were, you know, oh my gosh, we've been so long about hikate and chambering for so long that, you know, it's, it's a grappling, you know, and for me, it was a little bit of like, well, welcome to karate. I don't, you know, why has no one been telling you this for, for you know, for so long, uh, because for me, uh, anytime I would visit an Okinawan dojo in, in, of, of any flavor, you know, we somebody was grabbing somebody, you know, and upending somebody or whatever, and fun. and so it was kind of like, well, everyone's kind of catching back up, and of course, you know, like uh, a lot of people, they all reference the Okinawan past masters on, on stuff like that. Um, 
So, but it's, it's kind of an interesting, for me, it's an interesting revolution because I see people who just like totally like reject like everything that, you know, they, they're in Shotokan and they're like, I've left Shotokan and I'm not, you know, uh, but they're still doing like Shotokan Kata and then they're, you know, going back and doing uh, the thing going on. I mean, do, do you see it as, I mean, so that would kind of, again, with the whole death of styles kind of thing is like, well, clearly their style was really more of a system of teaching karate as opposed to the style because there was a part that was missing, quote unquote, right? And, and they didn't find it. And, and did you find that people were finding uh, one minute bunkai and like contacting you and like, you know, oh, you've opened my eyes, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, obviously there was a lot of that. Um, there was also some negative comments, which is sort of like uh, people would say, well, you know, I would do this while you're doing that. And, you know, and why don't you do this other thing? Or, you know, if you only did that, you know, somebody could hit you there. But usually what I do is, you know, you go offline 45 degrees or you go through the center. But everything that I'm showing is a concept and idea. I'm not, I'm not giving you the entire recipe. You're supposed to go out and find the recipe, but I'm giving you a way to prepare the chicken, but I'm not going to give you every single little thing, right? So, for example, there are some movements where I'll do something uh, where your wrist is being grabbed and I'm doing something that looks like some kata, but um, I could make it into a 10-minute bunkai where, you know, as I'm entering into that movement, I stomped your foot, I kicked your knee, I spit in your eye, I hit you in the groin, I tapped, I tapped your neck, you know, and I did all these things so that way you don't resist. Yeah. But, but then that's just me, but I'm, um, you know, I'm not there to... I'm not there necessarily to uh, to give you your uh, university degree in one minute. Right. You know, yeah. I'm there just to basically give you an idea so that you can open your eyes and see the possibility of this that you may not have seen it this way. Right. Um, yeah. But people people take it very literal. But none of, nothing that I do in one minute bunkai is is literal to the degree that there's things you do before and things you do after. For example, I always like to do a throw after. Because I'm a judo guy, and because I like to throw, and because it can be done. Because then if you throw him after you knock him out, he's maybe going to stay down a little longer. Um, and it's, ju it's just basically, I like to do a follow-up. Because then maybe it's only going to be a 30-second bunkai. Oh, so I'm, I'm just giving I ideas. But for the, for the majority of it, most people you know, are appreciative, and they, they enjoy what I do. When I uh, was doing my, my uh, bunkai seminars in Austin, I always invited people from other schools. And I had like a Kaju Kimbo guy came to class one day, you know, Taekwondo did do and and uh, some, you know, uh, Kung Fu guys and whatnot. And I was, whenever I would, whatever it was, it was I kind of modeled it after you as I would show them the thing, this is my thought. But I would say, look at your system and figure out how it's supposed to work. So like uh, my friend Matt, who's the Kajukembo guy and stuff like that, would always end up with like a thrower takedown and then basically stepping, you know, crushing, crushing their breastbone or you know ripping the throat out or whatever. I'm like, okay, more than I would do, but that's what your system says. So you know, you know, but but he enjoyed that that thought process of, of doing it, and so I think that's super interesting that uh, that you would get people. You know, my saying is every castle has a door, right? There's there's always going to be well, I could do this. Well, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's one well, minute. <laughs> yeah, well, here's another thing, too, is that, you know, there's a little bit of an ethical portion to the one-minute bunkai or anything that you show. 
I'm not going to show the things that are truly horrible, right. that are the things that are going to really mess somebody up, even, even though everything in one minute bunka is not, you know, it's not a nice thing you're doing. But there's things that you can do that will probably uh, work better than anything that I do in one minute bunkai that have to do with other nastier ways of, of uh, dealing with that same attack. Um, but also a lot of people uh, think in terms of they're one, it, there's only one scenario, kill, right? No, you know, in today's society, you can't kill. You know, yeah, you can if it's self-defense and if it necessitates, but you know, you have, you have to think in terms of like, Hey, what if it's your brother-in-law who's drunk at the party? What are you supposed to do? Knock his teeth out, break his neck and drop him to the ground on his head? No, that's your brother-in-law. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, some of these things are restraint and control and de-escalation. Sometimes yeah. you get him in a nice wrist lock and then they say, are you going to stop being an idiot? Or am I going to have to, you know, throw you out onto the lawn and, and put the hose to you? Sometimes the things you show are only at that level because not everything is kill, kill, kill. Right. So, yeah, no, no, I don't know. Yeah. No, I was just, it was, you know, with, with me, I just, I want people to do, you know, whatever. The, when we have people come and visit class, you know, I'll say, we're doing a front kick. Do your front kick. How are you do your front kick? And if they have a question about how we're doing ours, then I'm happy to talk. I'm not trying to change hearts and minds, really. Uh, but so, uh, Thank you for your uh, input on the, the practice of karate boom. It's very, you know, it's, it's a thing, and I, I'm, I always want to talk to um, sort of the, the, the venerable karate people about it, especially people from the Okinawan side that, you know, seeing what I think is people are kind of catching up a little bit. Uh, now people are going to write me nasty emails. But what I do want to find talk to you about uh, here before the few minutes we have is uh, Bugatia. Can yeah. uh, uh, Give us a story of that. You know what? Uh, how did you get involved with bringing that back to life? Well, uh, COVID helped. Time on your hands. Me being a freelancer and working from home that helps too. Um, but also, um, it's not 1996. <laughs> We're in 2021, where uh, there's a thing called Amazon which is an amazing uh, publishing arm of their uh, division where one person can upload a book and then you don't have to, you don't have to print. You don't have to keep inventory. You don't have to take uh, calls. You don't have to do subscriptions. You don't have to lick a stamp and send it all over the world. You don't have to go to the post office. It makes it so easy. You just put the book up there. Everybody gets it if they want to, and then you don't have to worry about it. So the part that I do, is what I can do with my eyes closed. I, I was a magazine art director for a decade and I can put those things together very, very easily. And I can tell you that I am very, very fast at doing it. So it, it was time to do it because Amazon allowed me to, to do it without having all those other aspects of the publishing business. Um, and then I thought, you know, uh, everybody's always asked me since 1998, when is Bugesha coming back? When is it coming back? It took this long, but I'm glad that I was able to do it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm. It's, it's selling all over the world, USA, Canada, um, Europe. Uh, and a lot of it is reported being sold in Japan. That means, you know, Okinawa also. But there's a there's a lot of people uh, enjoying it in Japan. So yeah. I'm um, enjoying it right over there. It's, it's right yeah. over, <laughs> on my iPad. So, right uh, over there. You know, I just put issue number nine. Um uh, I already have half the magazine ready for the September issue number 10. 
and then the, we'll start in January 2022. So I have a, I have ser- several ideas for cover stories. So that, that's always the, the the hardest one to get. Who do you put on the cover? Because that's got to be a very good you know person or lead, uh, and then also you know the story has to be significant. Uh, but I hope to continue doing it as long as I can. As long as people send me material, I'll put it up. Well, uh, you know, that was the one I wanted to find out because, I mean, I thought, you know, a friend of our show, I know Layla's in there. Um, you know, it, uh, how are you, I mean, do you just email people and they say, you know, oh, yeah, I've got something to talk about. Are people sending you stuff? I mean, how, how, how are you generating the content? Well, um, a lot of the usual suspects from back then, you know, John Sells, uh, George Matson, you know, uh, uh, some of the same authors, it was easy to contact them and get them uh, to jump on board. Uh, the other one was me just knowing people that I've sort of known for for the last 20 years <laughs> and just, you know, me reaching out to them, them saying, yeah, I would love to do it. Other people have approached me without, you know, on their own. And um, in some cases, it's like, yeah, you, you would be a perfect author. Uh, and then uh, uh, just discovering things every day. I just saw these uh, Gojiryu practitioners from South Africa. Uh, the gentleman had a fantastic YouTube channel. And I said, wow, this guy's good. So I approached them and they said they were happy. So a lot of the times as I discover things, people send me suggestions. Uh, if anybody's got, if anybody would like to submit an article, just contact me. Or if you know somebody, just have them contact me. It's not hard. <laughs> So then that, that brings up the concern with, with COVID is like when the world opens up again and you get busy, you know, I hope you're going to be able to have, have time to like peruse the internet to find uh, people that to go on. I, I mean, as far as, as the articles, I mean, do you really, do you, I mean, do you try and keep like a theme for an issue or is it just, you know, whatever comes in and you, you drop it into place? Well, the, the theme is pretty open-ended as far as, you know, it's Japanese Okinawan and, and some Chinese stuff. I mean, I, I will have my first Kung Fu article in the next issue, uh, a practitioner of Hungar Kung Fu from Italy. Um, but I, you know, it, it's not like I have a theme. Uh, uh, but for example, I, I do try to balance the editorial content. So, uh, you know, you don't have, you know, not too many sword stories or not too many karate stories. That way, you know, it's just a nice balance. And um, are, you, are you fine? I mean, and do you worry that in this uh, sort of video focused world, and especially, you know, you guys like you doing one minute bone guy, that people are going to take the time to sit down and, and read an, an article? I mean, I did. <laughs> well, plenty have. I don't know about the uh, 15-year-old of today, whether they'll ever read anything anymore, ever. Uh, but there's still some of us that know how to read. And there's always something about sitting down with a physical book, you know, and looking at the pictures. Um, and then this material uh, remains, uh, uh, you know, as relevant today as it will be in 20 years because uh, they're, they're non-timely stories. You know, they're... They're just like the first issues of the classic Bugesha. Some of those stories are, if you've never read them, they're just as informative as they were back then. Yeah, and that's the, the I like the, you know, the back catalog. Are you going to re-digitize the back catalog and have those as digital too, or is that? Oh, it's already out there. It's the, called the Bugesha Collector's Edition. Oh, okay. I must, I must admit it's a 450-page book with all the first seven issues all put together as one. 
Ooh, that sounds like a a good a good, uh, a good present for the martial artist. So there it is, right there. It's a big one. Oh yeah, it is. The um, I've got a actually then when I'm I'm gonna go back up to uh, see my mom next week, and I need to go dig through my old stuff in my room because I know <laughs> I probably got those that stacked up somewhere. And as a matter of fact, I I found one. It was in the it was in the drawer. The desk drawer next to my old bed at my mom's house. I was looking for something to open up. It was like, hey. And I put it because I was going to bring it back. No, I didn't. I lent it to my senior student. But yeah. Whatever the issue, one of the issues was. And uh, I got to freaking get that back from him now. because now it's Well, be, I, you know, I, I first put this. This was the first effort to put together because I already had the material. Right. So this was the first thing I did. Um, there's a lot of you people who who didn't, don't have any of them, but I also put each of the seven issues as, a, as an individual magazine because some people said, hey, I only had the first four and I, my dog right. ate the fifth one. So you can just buy the fifth one and you can yeah. recomplete your collection. So, you know, it's all on bugesha.net. Yeah. yeah, and absolutely, if, if you are a martial artist and you haven't read that magazine, you absolutely should. Uh, okay, we just got a more minutes. I'm going to wrap it up because I know you got to get to the actual day job, um, yeah. and I got to get back to work. And, but uh, I've started a thing where I want to uh, ask two questions of every martial artist that's on this show. Number one is uh, where is the uh, best place you've ever done martial arts? Like, you know, like I mean, as far as you know, wherever out in the field, you know, some place that when you were doing whatever you're doing, it was like this is the best. I've ever done it. I have to say is my most recent dojo, which is in Kaneohe Bay. It's in this room uh, overlooking Kaneohe Bay with a plumeria tree right outside. And then you have the, uh, the, the mountains and the bay and, uh, and it's all French windows that open up and the trade winds come in. Oh, I, I would say, yeah, I would say that's like, uh, you can't beat that one. Yeah, I miss, uh, I used to live on a street that had a beach access in Kailua and so I, it was like two houses off so I would go down there and you know in the evening or whatever and do kata on the beach and oh, I miss that action uh okay so then what is the weirdest place you've ever done martial arts okay when I first started teaching when I moved from Miami to Los Angeles in 1987 uh I was looking at parks and recreation uh to see if they wanted everywhere had a taekwondo karate whatever there was one park Westwood Recreation Center, which is off of Wilshire and Sepulveda, if you know that area. And uh, they had a, a tennis courts and they had a little shack where they kept the volleyballs, the tennis, you know, the nets. It was basically a 10 foot 10 shack, a storage room. Now they did not have a martial arts program there because there was no building. But I said, I don't care. I can just push all that stuff to the side uh, and I could basically fit five students. So. I, I trained there for uh, three months by myself while the classes were advertised until I got one student and then two and three. But it was basically a 10 foot 10 storage shack <laughs> with no windows and a door. But it was it was a uh, it was the beginnings. So uh, that was very special. To the storage shack over at the edge of the field. So the interesting thing is, is that this was a huge, huge, uh, a park that had a huge open area and it went from one block to the next block. And one day they started constructing something on the other end, like, you know, like 500 yards, like half a mile away. And I said to the director, what's over there? What are they building? 
oh, that's the new shiny, the largest park and rec center in all of Los Angeles, and it'll be ready in one year. And I said, oh, so that's part of the parks and rec. So that means I can go over there. And sure enough, I was grandfathered in. And uh, I held my first class on the opening day where the mayor opened it up. And I was teaching class and there was people walking through. So it was sort of like from this little shack, I was guaranteed the biggest, baddest parks and rec uh, location in all of Los Angeles. Nice. Well, you know, humble beginnings, right? That's what, uh, you know, I, I started all my classes in the park, you know, just yeah. for free in the park, you know, and then moved indoors when the mosquitoes got bad eventually. Uh, I've done that with every place that I started class at. And uh, my friends that I've trained with, when they started te- wanted to start teaching, and they're always like, well, how did you get your, and I was like, I just started teaching in the park, dude, you know, and they're wanting to like buy mats and get, you know, whatever. It's like, just start. I mean, the way they did back in the day in Okinawa, you know, a little bitty room or whatever in the backyard. Do your thing. Exactly. And that's it. Uh, okay. So I thank you very much for being on the show. It's, it's an honor to talk to you. Uh, finally in person, uh, we've traded some emails and stuff back in the future. Thank you uh, in the past rather. And uh, I really appreciate your, your insights and comments. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you for uh, bringing Bugesha back up, all your work on Women at Bunkai. And uh, I really, really hope <laughs> that we get to see uh, some more content uh, from Women at Bunkai pretty soon. And um, we're going to put all the information in the show notes for Bugesha to, for people to reach out and get it. And um, again, thank you very much for being on the show. My pleasure. And I look forward to talking to you again. Take care.